Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey everyone, welcome to our Bible study tonight. We are glad to have you here. Uh, glad you were able to join us. Uh, tonight we're going to get into our, our continuation of the Old Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament. So I'm looking forward to that. Tonight we're going to really focus in on a couple of things. Uh, idolatry. And, you know, we kind of know what that is. But tonight we're going to dig a little deeper into why it was really such a big deal. And there's going to be a question that's going to come up uh, as we get into this a little bit. And, and it's this. If you were living in those days... Would you have been an idol worshiper? Would you have fallen into idolatry or not? And we always like to think, yeah, if I'd have been in that situation, I would have never done that. But maybe uh, maybe you ought to listen tonight. I think maybe, um, maybe we'll make us all rethink that just a little bit. We'll see. Um, but welcome. We're glad to have you tonight with, with us. Uh, if this is your first time on our, our feed, I am Pastor Barry from Souls Harbor. And uh, we do this every Wednesday night. Hope you can join us not only tonight, but uh, each Wednesday in the future. Speaking of which, I need to share something with you guys. Next week is Thanksgiving week, week, and as you all know, those of you that have been a part of Souls Harbor for a while, on um, Thanksgiving week, we always move our midweek service back to Tuesday rather than Wednesday. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue that tradition this year. So next week, we'll have our Bible study uh, still online Facebook on Tuesday rather than Wednesday. So we'll send out the notification and hope you guys can tune in. If you can't because it just doesn't fit your schedule, the cool thing is now it's going to be available and recorded. And you can go back and watch it whenever you would like to. Uh, tonight as we get into this, go ahead, you guys feel free to like and share uh, and join our SHC Plainfield uh, page as well and join us on Sunday mornings. We'd love to have you there if you're not a part of that. Also, feel free to comment along the way. Uh, because of time lag issues, I'm not always able to respond immediately, but uh, there are a number of people on here that will, and we love to have the conversation going on and you guys engaged. I will ask some questions along the way, and even if I move on before you get your answer out there or I see it, um, please comment anyway and, and be as engaged with this as you possibly can. We've got a number of people on tonight. Glad to see you guys. Pat and Mac are out there and Bill and Jan and Cheryl are with us tonight. I think I saw John Carter, my brother-in-law is on there, and Joe uh, Colborn is with us tonight. So I'm sure we've got some others. Uh, Sam and Don looks like they jumped on and Jenny. Glad to have you guys. And if I missed you, forgive me, um, but we're glad to have you tonight. Uh, we are going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into our study tonight. A couple of special things we want to pray for tonight. Uh, Sandy uh, Burgett's daughter, Linda, we want to pray for her. She's dealing with some serious health issues. And Pat's uh, Pat Stennon's uh, brother, uh, we want to pray for him as well. He's dealing with some pretty serious health issues right now. Um, so we're going to pray, and uh, then we're going to jump into our study. So you guys, if you would do this, pray with me. I hate to pray alone even when I'm looking at a screen and a camera. So pray with me tonight. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we lift up tonight these uh, couple of needs. We pray for Linda. We pray for Johnny. We pray, God, that you would touch them. We're asking you tonight to give strength to their bodies, to bring healing there, give wisdom to the doctors that are involved in their treatment. And, and we're believing you, God, that all things will work together for good. And we're trusting you, Lord, that you will bring healing where it's needed in Jesus' name. We pray tonight as we get into our study, Lord, let your Holy Spirit be in the center of all that's said, done, spoken, 
uh, and thought tonight and help us to take it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's jump into this tonight. We're going to um, make a transition tonight from, we've been talking about the historical books for the last three weeks, actually, and tonight we're going to move on into the Old Testament portion that we would call the prophets, and we're going to spend a little bit of time hitting some highlights there, uh, although you'll see here at the beginning it connects back to the historical books as well. So let's jump into this, and let me bring you um, this quote, once again, I know I've mentioned it a number of times, and actually it's going to come up a few times tonight in our study. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Winston Churchill. Remember, we're looking at this not just to gain knowledge and information about the Old Testament and history itself, uh, and even now in the prophetic books, but we're trying to learn from history. Learn from those that went before us. Learn from the mistakes they made and not repeat them. That is our goal and all that we're doing tonight. Uh, past weeks, previous weeks, here are some of the topics we've hit. Just kind of give you a quick overview. We started out uh, with God's plan of restoration. We talked about the fall and how God put in place a plan to restore humanity into a right relationship with him to where, once again, we could we could have an intimate, close relationship with God himself and not be separated by sin. Uh, we looked at Israel's fall in the last several weeks. We've looked at Manasseh, one, the, one of the kings of the southern, uh, the southern nation, Judah, uh, and the evil that he did and the consequences of that, but also the repentance that came with him. And then we looked at Josiah, uh, a king that followed after Manasseh in the southern kingdom, Judah, and how he brought a revival, at least a temporary revival, to the nation of Judah and how God held off his judgment for a period of time. And then we also saw that it was just a temporary revival, a te temporary change of heart, and ultimately Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, as well as Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, both fell uh, at some point. This week we're going to look at three things, and these will seem like they're a little bit odd, but you'll you'll see some connection here made as we get into this. We're going to look at the, the, the topic idolatry and we. I started out saying idolatry and me. I thought, no, I don't want to be in this all by myself alone. So it's going to be idolatry and we rather than idolatry and me. We're going to look at this tonight. Uh, we're going to look at idolatry and marriage and how those two things are uh, connected. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, actually also in the New Testament. And then we're going to look at the idea of the, the repentance tonight. What exactly is that? Where does that come into play? And remember, our big thread that we're kind of walking through each week as we look at the story of the Old Testament is this thing of God's plan and how he carries it forward, how he carried it forward uh, through uh, Noah, through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then the nation of Israel, and then uh, through the kings. Uh, and we're going to continue that th this week and next week. And remember, even when it seems hard and dark, God's plan is still in action all along the way. Just a couple of uh, historical markers tonight. The Northern Kingdom, if you remember, it fell in 722 B.C., uh, 722 years before Christ. 722 years. Let that sink in for a second. So I, I always like to connect that to the age of America. That seems to be something that we can all relate to. We're about 250 years old, so about three times the age of, of America. We're going back 722 years, roughly. Um, that is when Israel fell, before Christ. Uh, and Judah then also fell. They fell a couple hundred years approximately later. Uh, they fell to Babylon in 586 B.C. 
just a couple of historical markers there. So tonight, let's let's get into this, and, and we're talking about covenant and grace, and let's start with some conversation about the prophets and grace. And we saw this kind of played out last week when we were still in the historical books, and I just want to touch on these real quick to make a connection between the historical books last week and where we're going this week. In 2 Kings 17, we read this, The Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, but they would not listen. And I want you to see this. We think of the Old Testament so often as God, uh, a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of punishment, a God of all those things. And, and there certainly was judgment. There certainly was justice. But I want you to remember there was also a whole lot of patience, a whole lot of grace, and a whole lot of warning that went out and, and, and took place before God finally brought judgment to Israel the northern kingdom, and to Judah, the southern kingdom. One more passage I want to read from Second Chronicles, the historical books. Again, the Lord God sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. God is a God of compassion. Remember that. He is a God of patience, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of compassion. He had compassion on his people, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And there is a point, a place that comes to all of our lives and, and to nations where there is no remedy except for judgment. And Israel and Judah um, finally got to that place. And remember, we're studying this tonight so we don't fall into the same mistakes as individuals and as a nation. Now, here's a question for you tonight, and um, you guys can throw an answer out there for me if you want to. Uh, if I were an Israelite, if you were an Israelite in ancient times, would you have bowed to an idol? And I think it is probably safe to say that most of us would, if, if we were being honest, we'd say, no, I, I'm pretty sure I would not have bowed myself to an idol. Um, but I want you to think that through for a minute. You've got all the pressure of all society, all culture, all families, so much of Israel that the leadership, the spiritual leadership, the kings, all that pressure on you to do what everybody else does. And it's easy for us to think many times that we wouldn't fall into the same thing. Uh, I heard a really good question asked uh, here a few weeks ago, something I was reading or actually listening to a podcast and a study. And the question was this. Um, this is probably going to hit even more home with all of us than, than the idol question. If we were living in Nazi Germany in the 1940s, late 30s, would we have gone along as Christians? Would we have gone along with uh, the persecution of the Jewish people and all the minorities? Would we have gone along? And we like to think, no, absolutely not. But I'm going to tell you that the gentleman I heard speaking, he was a psychologist, made a very strong argument that most people think that, but when the pressure comes, that level of pressure, so many people find themselves actually being willing and, and, and almost unable to stop themselves from going along with the crowd. Now let me let's go back to the idol question. 
I, I want us to look at it from in this context. Why was idolatry, idol worship, such a big deal? It was such a big deal because idols were worshipped to assure safety and security. You know, we think of idols, and in our minds, they're just pieces of wood, they're pieces of metal. What's the big deal? They were really weak. They shouldn't have bowed to those things. In their world, they were legitimate, real gods, and they were sources of safety and security. And I think we need to realize that all they wanted was the same thing that we want today as Americans. They wanted crops to grow. They wanted their land protected. And, and their mentality was, if one God is good, more gods are better. And it wasn't that they many times threw out Yahweh and said, I'm going to worship Baal instead. It was that rather than do that, they continued to worship Yahweh and they worshiped Baal and Asherah and all the other Canaanite gods as well. Because in their world, if one God was good, more was better. And while we look at Yahweh, we look at our God today, and, and, and we just we, we know we've got we've got two thousand years of Christian history, and we've got uh, let's just say three or four hundred years of of Jewish history uh, from the time that they came out of captivity in Babylon, where it was pretty settled that we will be a monotheistic people. We've got all that that has been passed on generationally to make to help us to realize there is only one true God. These others are just pieces of wood and and and, and metal. But they didn't have all that in their world, in their worldview, in their understanding. Um, they were all gods. And they were all real, and they all had power, and they ha all had influence. Um, so if you put yourself into that situation, into that culture, into that worldview, into that mindset, would you have bowed to an idol? It's a really interesting question. But I want to go back to this. They wanted the same thing we want in America. They wanted their crops to grow, and they wanted their land protected. Now, what things do Americans trust in alongside God? as a source of security and prosperity. Do we have things that we trust in? Um, in a, you know, we go to church, we pray, we talk to God, we, we, we believe in God. Do we have things that we trust in alongside God as a source of our security and prosperity? Now, I'm going to toss out a few things tonight. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts tonight. And these things can be idols or they cannot be idols. Um, we don't necessarily pray to them and hopefully don't bow down to them, but I think there's some really good questions here. There's a few directions the answer to this could go. What things do Americans trust in alongside God as a source of security and prosperity? How about government? Isn't that uh, someplace we really trust in for our, our security and our prosperity? Now, government doesn't have to be and shouldn't ought to be an idol, and that's not to say that it needs to be um, done away with or destroyed. It serves a purpose, and there's even biblical standards for that, but we do have to be careful that we don't raise our trust in government to the same level that we place our trust in God, because ultimately it is God who is our source of security and prosperity. We could have the same conversation about things like wealth. We could talk about our 401ks. We could talk about our savings account, our bank accounts, the strength of the dollar. We could talk about um, we could talk about things like uh, relationships. Do we find security uh, in, in relationships? Do we let those things rise to the level of God? Or are those things that we will not ever put before God? God says, have no other gods before me. And when we let those things rise to the level of God, 
they become gods in small g, they become small g gods. We could also go a dif different direction with the answer to this question. We could talk about things like uh, how many people read horoscopes? How many people call up on Ouija boards or palm reading or things like that to know the future or get direction for their life? Even, even the almanacs, we have to be careful that we don't let those things, any of these things, rise to the level of, of God. Because we really are wanting the same thing that they wanted in ancient Israel. We're wanting our crops to grow. We're wanting security. We're wanting security and we're wanting prosperity. But God is the source of those things and no other. And this is the thing. Winston Churchill said it. I told you it would pop up a few times. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Let's move on tonight. Let's talk about idolatry and how idolatry is infidelity against God. Uh, I want to dig into this a little bit. Uh, tonight. What exactly is idolatry? I think we sometimes have some kind of fuzzy ideas about why it was such a big deal. I mean, we know it was a big deal, but why? And I think tonight, I hope tonight as we dig into this, maybe you'll gain a, a deeper insight into why idolatry was so um, so frowned upon, so, so uh, just condemned by God himself and those that were truly speaking for him. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God uses marriage to symbolize his relationship with his people. You go to Ephesians and you read in Ephesians and you will find, I think it's Ephesians, I believe it's 5, the, the scripture that talks about um, marriage and it will connect marriage to uh, the covenant and the relationship between God and his people. In the Old Testament, we see that happening throughout. Uh, he always uses marriage to symbolize uh, his relationship with his people. So in a way, in a sense, okay, uh, and, and don't take this to crazy weird places, but in a sense, we our covenant relationship with God is very similar to a covenant marriage relationship. The, the level of um, faithfulness, the level of love, the level of intimacy, the, the fact that it's not built on a contract, but it's built on, on a loving relationship and a commitment. Those things are all very, very similar. So let's read a little bit of scripture. We're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah tonight for a little bit. And let's dig into this. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there she played the, the whore. He is condemning uh, Israel because they have been unfaithful in their relationship to him. Uh, he says she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there she committed these abominations, unfaithfulness, adulterous acts. We, we see God even there comparing uh, marriage and our relationship with God. I want to show you about a two-minute video tonight. I want you to watch this, uh, and it will talk about Yahweh and Asherah, and afterwards I want to come back and talk about it just a little bit, what it means. I hope uh, this helps us to understand why idolatry was such a big deal. Now I'm in a temple in the ancient city of Arad, south of Jerusalem, and this city was under the control of the kingdom of Judah from about the 9th century to the 6th century BCE. And what is significant about this temple is that it is the only Judahite temple discovered by archaeologists. Now, of course, there's a much more famous sister temple in Jerusalem built by King Solomon. And in fact, this temple follows a similar design, an outer courtyard with a sacrificial altar and an inner holy of holies. And in this holy of holies, they found two 
two standing stones, one larger than the other, and two incense altars, one larger than the other. Now, standing stones are found in shrines in cultic areas throughout this region, and in West Semitic religions, they frequently are interpreted as representing the presence of a deity. But you might be thinking, wait, I thought Israelite religion had one god, Yahweh, and you shall have no other gods before me. Why two standing stones? Well, Yahweh might have had a consort, or a wife, if you will. Our first piece of evidence comes from an inscription discovered in the Sinai that dates to about the 800s BCE. On one of the storage jars found in this site, archaeologists found a Hebrew blessing that mentions Yahweh of Samaria and his Asherah. So Asherah was a Canaanite goddess, and she's portrayed in earlier texts as a consort to the Canaanite god El. Since early Israelite religion shows strong parallels to Canaanite religion, some scholars argue that these inscriptions illustrate that some Israelites likewise viewed Asherah as the consort to their god, Yahweh. That it really shouldn't surprise us that some Israelites might have worshipped a goddess as well. The Hebrew Bible itself constantly complains about the Israelites going astray and worshipping other gods, so though it may be a stretch to identify these two standing stones in Arad as Yahweh and Asherah, it's not a stretch to say that the pairing of these two deities continued in some form from Canaanite religion. Okay, now back to the temple. So knowing what we know about religion in ancient Israel, we can make a little more sense of the constant complaints of Asherah in the Hebrew Bible as complaints coming from an intellectual elite in Jerusalem with a much more strict monotheism. In fact, many historians say that the kings Hezekiah and Josiah launched religious reforms that destroyed these satellite temples to Yahweh, destroyed the cultic sites of Asherah, and centralized worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem alone. So we see as we watch that video, and I want you to think this through with me tonight just for a, a, a moment, we, we saw last week Josiah came and threw out all the fake, false gods, the Asherahs that were in the temple. We, we read that last week as we looked at the, the story of Josiah. But I, I hope, I want you to think this through. If Asherah was seen as Yahweh's consort or his wife, and, and understand that's not to say that God really has a wife. That's just to say that the Israelites at this point in their history believed he had a wife. Okay, so I, I want you to, to understand that. But if that's what they believed, if that's the way they treated Yahweh, what implications did that bring with it? Now, now I want you to think about this with me for a minute. God is in a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship with his covenant people. Okay, that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. But now his people have come in and not only are they chasing after other gods, and causing uh, themselves to be adulterated and, and sin by bowing down to other gods, but they have now taken another god and placed it in the temple, in the holy temple with Yahweh, and they have claimed that that is Yahweh's wife. Well, if Yahweh has a consort or a wife, he is now in a covenant relationship, a faithful relationship, a marriage relationship with her, at the same time, he's in a relationship with his people. And, and what they're doing with that is it's not just a matter of their being unfaithful, but get this, they are impugning the character of God himself. They are claiming God himself is an adulterer because he now has a, a, a consort or a wife that, that is a, a part of his being or his circle. And, and it, it, it goes deeper than just being unfaithful on their part. They're now turning around and impugning the very character of God himself. And you begin to see 
I think you begin to see the, the depth of the, the depravity and why God was so adamant that these things must not be with my people. Um, because you're not only impugning your own character, which is bad enough, but now you're challenging my character. And God is holy, and he will not have his character impugned. He just won't. And probably the reason that Manasseh was so, or God was so adamant when it came to the, the things that Manasseh did, uh, that it will bring judgment upon the people. Let's go back to our Winston Churchill uh, comment once again. Quote, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Let's look at Jeremiah 3, 6 through 13 tonight, or, or 7 through 8, I believe it is. And I thought after she had done all this, so we're, we're kind of jumping back into the same story. And I thought after she has done all this, she will return to me, but she did not return. God thought Israel would return, he says, but she didn't. And then he says this, okay, so Israel has been unfaithful. God has brought judgment. Uh, and he says this, that, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Think about that. God says, I divorced the northern kingdom. I divorced Israel. Th their unfaithfulness and their challenging my character got so severe, so bad, that I divorced them. I, I offered a decree of divorce. And at the same time, Judah, who was standing back watching that, watched, watched that, her, her as a treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but she too went and played the harlot or the whore. Now, I, I want you to think about that. If you don't learn from history, you absolutely will repeat history. Verse 9, because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. What lessons, and, and here's a question for you tonight, and, and I'll give you just a moment to think about this. What lessons do our nation ignore to its own detriment? What lessons could we learn from understanding the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, knowing the story, things we've talked about, and, and many things that we haven't even gone into, um, but we as a culture, we as a nation today, we're ignoring them. We're not learning the lessons of history, and we're setting ourselves up into a place where it, it's going to, it is, it's not only going to be, it is to our detriment, and possibly, ultimately, to our judgment, and to God one day, even, it, it will come to a point of God saying there has to be justice. What lessons do our nation, does our nation ignore to its detriment? You guys feel free to jump in there and comment. I'm going to give you a few thoughts tonight. Okay, and I am not going to go deep into this, but I want to give you a few thoughts. We have absolutely destroyed the sanctity of marriage. We have made it something that is an option and probably not even the most popular option. We have taken the family and we, because of our destruction of the sanctity, uh, sanctity of marriage, and we have destroyed the family, the foundational unit that makes up our society and makes up our nation. We have, have families that are now consistently um, being raised without a father and a mother. We have taken the idea, the concept that God made them male and female, and each brings something very special and unique uh, and equal to a relationship, to a marriage, and we have destroyed that. We have walked away from that. And we are not learning from the history that the Word of God, and even history beyond the Word of God, tells us that when you destroy the foundation of the family, you set yourself up to destroy the culture itself. What lessons do our nation, does our nation ignore 
to its detriment. There's a lot, and we could spend a whole, uh, an entire week and probably multiple weeks talking about those things. But I want us to understand, and maybe tonight we need to take it and make it personal. Are there lessons that we ourselves have ignored in the Word of God and we've taken them as suggestions or we've taken them as optional or we just choose to put them out of our mind and refuse to think about them and ultimately it has caused us pain and hardship in our relations. You know, there's never a point where it's it, it's too late where we can't turn around and make a change and maybe we still live with the consequences of our prior decisions, especially those decisions pre-Jesus, pre-relationship with God, but we can certainly make things going better going forward and even more so we can begin to set the stage for the next generation of this what is what it looks like to be a strong healthy follower of Christ and live the most healthy uh, family and life that you possibly can we have got to learn from history let's look at Jeremiah again he says this in verse 10 yet for all of this Israel's treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart but in pretense, declares the Lord. Notice that. Judah, remember Josiah? We talked about him last week. Uh, he brought about a revival. But now we're finding out, as we read in Jer Jeremiah, that revival, it was a pretense. It wasn't something that went deep enough. I asked this question several times, and I'm going to ask it again. Can a nation legislate righteousness? Can a nation make laws and put laws in a place that will bring about righteousness? Uh, I'm not going to give the answer, but I hope you will ponder it and think about it. And it's certainly a great question and a great conversation place. I want you to see this about Judah, though, and maybe this helps give an answer. Judah maintained an outward appearance of relationship and holiness through the kingship of Josiah, even as they pursued other sources of security, safety, and pleasure. They e Even after Josiah... They, gave, they tried to give an outward appearance of, we still follow Yahweh, but at the same time, they were pursuing those other sources of safety and security and pleasure. In other words, they had never had a change that went heart deep. Jeremiah goes, Jeremiah goes on and he says, And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Don't miss this, okay? Judah's evil was worse than Israel's. Now, Israel's abominations, probably, if you want to lay them out in number and severity, maybe they were worse. But it's almost as if God is saying, you knew better because you saw the consequences. And you made a willful choice. And I've heard this said over the years, and maybe here's some basis for it, that if God does not at some point judge America, he is going to need to go back and to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the other nations that he has judged in history. And I read this passage in Jeremiah, and I almost wonder if that's not a bit of what we're seeing here. Israel said, go to the north and tell Israel, come back, because as bad as you were, Judah is worse. He says, he says, go and tell them as treacherous as you are, your sister has been worse. And I wonder if America had not better be very careful or were liable to find ourselves in a similar position, similar place as, as Judah was. How can we recognize idolatry in the 21st century? Let me walk through a couple of things here 
tonight, and then we're going to bring this to a close. We're right at the 7 o'clock mark. How can we recognize idolatry in the 21st century? How do we know when we're committing adultery? Here's one way you can know tonight whether idolatry is an issue in your life because as serious and severe as it was in the Old Testament, listen to me, folks, it's also serious today. What things do I trust in alongside God as a source of my security, my prosperity, and my pleasure? When it comes to enjoying life, what things do you go to that you let be elevated, that you elevate to the same place of God? You know, there's some ways that you can figure the answer to that out, and and that is figure out what the priorities in your life are. And and two things that I've often found is a great way to do that is look at where my money goes and look at where my time goes. What do you elevate above God when it comes to giving your time? What do you elevate to the level of God or above God when it comes to investing your money in? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have pleasure outside of prayer, outside of worship, outside of church, but are there things that we allow to get into in front of the times we ought to be in prayer, we ought to be in worship, we ought to be in the house of God? That's a really good question. What things do I trust in alongside God? Because if we're we're having problems with idolatry, it's going to be different for each and every one of us. But if we'll honestly sincerely look into our lives and ask this question and answer this question, we'll begin to find out whether or not there are things that we've allowed to be elevated. And I mentioned them early. It can be wealth. It can be a savings account. It can be retirement accounts. It can be relationships. Uh, It can be things that we do for pleasure. Um, We justify them all kinds of way. I deserve this relationship. I deserve this break. And listen, Uh, You guys that know me, I have no problem. Go take a vacation. Enjoy your vacation. Enjoy your time. Those are important. Ruthie and I do that regularly. But are there times and things and pleasures and stuff and finances and security that we're allowing to rise on a regular basis to the level of God? If so, then we've identified some places of idolatry in our lives, and we need to be careful. Next week, and I'm going to stop here Next week, we're going to jump into this. God calls his people to repent. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some really good time looking at what it means to repent. What is repentance really all about according to the Old Testament story and according to uh, the prophets? What does repentance look like for them? Therefore, then what does repentance look like for me? So we have worked through this tonight. Um, We've looked at idolatry, and we're seeing as we look through the story, the people of Israel have been consumed by idolatry. We saw it last week. We saw it this week. They've been judged, Israel and Judah. And Israel has been carried into Assyria and is no more. The ten kingdoms of the north and the southern kingdom has been carried into Babylon in slavery. And, And let me end with this. God still, his plan is still in action. His plan is still going forward. And we're going to see that more and more as we go through these next few weeks. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for being a part of the feed tonight. I hope some of what I've shared has encouraged you. I hope it's challenged you, maybe even made you uncomfortable in a few places. Um, That's good. And I pray the Holy Spirit has worked in your mind and your heart uh, in those places. Hey, you guys have a great week. I love you. I appreciate you. Pray for you regularly. And um, God bless. And I will see you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.